0: Well, it's uh, something that we do every year, and if you stop and ask yourself, why? You You ever done that? Why do we do this? Here's what struck me. We go and we hunt down the perfect tree. Now, the limitations of our various rooms give us dimensions, and if you're like me, you have to take a measuring tape because that tree is always taller than you think. Once you actually get it in your house, how many times have I been like, whoa, we're just going to chop this thing in half, okay? So you get, you get your measuring tape out, and you go, and you find the tree, and then you bring it, you, you cut it down, you bring it into your house. Do you do anything like that the rest of the year as far as decorations go? I mean, do you decorate any other holiday like you decorate for Christmas? Why do we do this? Think of the effort that it requires, to stand a cut-down pine tree in your home, and then to decorate it. And, uh, I mean, you have to move furniture around. You've got to have space for presents underneath. And then at the top, I have no idea what this chubby guy is doing on the top of the tree. Um, But we would prefer maybe an angel or a star, right, or something like that. Why do we do this? What is this all about? Well, a few years ago, I did a sermon that dug into each of the things that we tend to do, the tree, the ornaments, the lights, the stockings, um, the presents, all of this, and uh, went in-depth on that. That's online. You can listen to that. But what I'd like to do is just draw our attention to some of these traditions that we have and and point us to the, the goal, the reason of all of these things that we do. The tree is to draw our attention to the cross, The tree. The present under the tree, friends, is Christ, our Savior. We give gifts to one another because we trace back our joy in the giving of God the Father to us, of the perfect gift of love. Uh, The lights on the tree used to be candles. In Germany, they would hang their trees from the ceiling and and then put open flames on those trees. You wonder how most of Germany didn't just burn down at Christmas time. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. That's the reason we do lights on our trees. The ornaments speak of his perfections, all his varied perfections, all of the obedience and submission of Jesus to the Father, beautifully adorning this tree. But friends, it always is to point us to the tree, the tree. That's why we do this. Parents, teach your kids. This is your opportunity again this year. Before you open presents, just pause and say, let me just tell you again why we do this. This is about the cross. It's about the cross. It's about God's love. It's about God's Son, Jesus, the perfect gift. And so I titled the sermon today, The Present and the Tree. I want to preach from one verse. And uh, I think we'll find that in this one verse, there is a world of truth for us to see. Would you pray with me as we dive into this passage? Lord, we come now not out of just mindless tradition. We come with a purpose. We, we want to hear from you. We come because we want to see you. We want to be reminded again of the 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 bedrock of this celebration, the eternal joy that we have, the gift of love that you've given. Father, show us a a new, uh, give us a a deeper appreciation for the present and the tree, for your love. Help us to understand these things, Lord, in a a way that would give meaning and impart a a richness to our, our celebration as it comes today, and tomorrow. We honor you in this time, Lord. Please meet with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just move phrase by phrase through John 3.16. I think the kids that sang, they did such a good job up there singing today. I think they could probably quote this for us, but why don't we, let's give, give it a try, but not just the kids, everybody. Peyton said he already filled out his whole sermon notes. He, he's done. He said, "I I why'd you make it so easy, pastor? That was easy. Usually I have to guess. Okay, let's let's do this together. John 3:16. If you don't know it, no worries. You'll know it a little better by the end of the time. Okay, whatever translation you memorized it in, you just belt it out. Okay, for God so love the world. Amen. Amen. This is a verse so common. You see it at football games held up in the end zone. Why do they do that? I'll tell you why. Because this one verse captures the whole thing. It's like the the key that unlocks the entire gospel. You see in this one verse so many aspects of God and His glory and His love and His gift and His purpose and redemption. John 3.16. Let's begin with the first phrase. For God so loved the world. Let's draw a special emphasis to these words. So loved. So loved. Before we get there, though, I don't want to assume God. Consider this. We're, We're speaking here of God the Father, who is the infinite and almighty God. God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. The Trinity, the three in one, the one in three. They are one God, three persons. Here the Father is spoken of. He so loved the world. If we consider this for long enough, we rightly come to this conclusion. Um, God is big. He is exalted. He is high above all of us, who are we? Who are we? Now, in the world, the inclination is just the opposite. The inclination is we are big, right? We are the epicenter. And really, it's more like, who are you, God? How do you fit into my world? How can I put you in your place and allow you to kind of Walk with me in the way that I choose. That's not what the scriptures call us to, is it? David writes this in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You you feel this? This should be an impulse as we read scripture. God is so much bigger than we ever dreamed. And we are not that significant in light of His greatness. Now, God stoops down to our low estate and He meets us where we're at. This is the glory of God on display. This is His goodness, His love. This is part of the soul in the so loved. You have to see this. He doesn't have to do this. But it is His glory that He does. And He comes down to meet us. God with us. The word so. I so love that. What are we saying with that word so? This is how much. This is the extent of my love. This is, this is the measure of it. Or you could say this, this is the magnitude of of God's love. For God so loved the world. It's the reach, the, the scope, the, the, the weight of his love. It's going to build out both in understanding who he is, but then in understanding what he's done. What, he's, what has he done? Hmm. John writes in his other letter, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And then he adds, and so we are. And so we are. It's that kind of love. So loved, the nothings, that's us. He is the everything. Hmm. The nature of God's love. What is this word love that is used? In your Bible, there are different words used for love. We just have this, this one word, love. I, I love tacos. I love football. And I love you, honey, my wife, right? I mean, obviously, in a different way, my love for tacos and my love for my wife. We're limited by English And here. But, but, but the Bible is not, right? The Bible has various words for love. This word that is used in this, it's not the brotherly love, the phileo love. It's not the, uh, the physical love. This love here is, is agape love. Hmm. Agape love. It is a sacrificial love of the will. An undeserving love. A, a selfless love. A committed and faithful and abiding love. Hmm. It's the kind of love that says, you don't deserve this. But I choose to lavish this love upon you. Wow. God so agape us. Hmm. The scope of God's love. This phrase, the world, is so important for us to see. Cosmos is the word, the world. For God so loved the world. The world. Now, one of the things, mistakes that can be made in understanding John 3.16 is that we can somehow limit this down too small. The cosmos uh, has, I think, in view all kinds of things. One, we understand that creation itself is under the curse. God's love for, his, for all of his creation is on display in this, so there's a lot happening in the work of Christ in redemption, but the world here specifically has in view the sinful humanity. The rebels, that's us. (coughs) Sinful and rebellious humanity, those unworthy of God's love, under God's righteous condemnation, fully deserving of God's everlasting wrath. That's us, friends. See, what we've got to remember is that the good news has to first be understood in light of the bad news. Otherwise, it's really not that good of news. Saved from what? Why? Why do I need to be saved? We need to be saved, friends, because we are rebels, sinners. We don't care about God's law, His righteousness, His justice. We do what we want. And that is natural to us because in Genesis chapter 3, the fall, the rebellion took place. Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed and they were placed under the curse and every single person conceived and born from that point on has born in sin. We're natural-born sinners. You don't have to teach children how to steal or lie or be selfish. It's in us. It just shows up in different ways as you grow older, doesn't it? Those offenses are not so much here, but infinitely this direction. Why? Because God is infinitely holy. One offense against an infinitely holy God requires justice to be served, which would mean infinite punishment, unending punishment. That's where we stand. Apart from this love, we're doomed. We're doomed. I did a Christmas sermon a few years ago on the wrath of God. Very different kind of Christmas sermon. Most people did not expect that when they came on Christmas Sunday. But, friends, we've got to see this first before we understand the magnificence of this love that we have been given in Christ. Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Ooh. We have in our minds this thought of somehow we're just just trying to be as good as we can. We're trying to do our best. God understands, right? He's gracious and loving. That is not the view of the world that the Bible paints for us. And if we're honest, it's not real either. Even our greatest acts of kindness and goodness are followed with self-seeking glory. I want the praise. I'll take the accolades. And I steal from God in that very act. I commit cosmic treason. Hmm. (coughs) For God so loved the world. That's agape, friends. He loved us in that place while we were still sinners. Rebels. He loved us. He chose to love us. Now, next phrase. For God so loved the world that he gave. He, the Father, gave his only Son. The the emphasis here, I think, today is gave. The gift. He, He gave. God the Father is a giver. A giver. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were worthy or we were even calling for it. We were running breakneck speed to the fires of hell. And God the Father gave the gift of His love. The most precious gift the world has ever known. Every gift is an echo of this gift. I love this picture right here. The present in the manger. This is from God. Sent from God. Jesus willingly Submitted His will to come. He came with a mission. He came with a purpose. This wasn't just haphazard. This was planned from eternity past. He was humbly born to live in perfect submission and obedience to God the Father. He was humbly born to suffer and die, fully paying the price for the sins of all who believe. When you look at the cross, see both arms. It is His righteousness Obedience and submission to God, something we can never say we've done. We don't qualify here. And his full atoning death to pay the penalty for our sins. This is the joy of the gift that God gave. It's not just that he sent a baby and we get to celebrate Christmas. It's that the whole gift was given to drive this mission to the cross. Don't ever separate Easter and Christmas. The one is the focal point, the goal of the other. Christmas always in view of the cross. What's amazing is that God not only gives this gift, but this is God. It's amazing. I mean, I was thinking the other day, if, if I were to die and my family were to say, that's okay. Dad's gone. We have all the things he gave us. We'll be be fine. We don't miss him at all. We just got great Legos and, you know, fun toys. I would not be okay with that, okay? I'd be like, hey, what about me? You see that God the Father gives the greatest gift the world has ever known, but it's not just, here, take that and enjoy it. Have fun. Knock yourself out. It's He gives Himself. He gives His only Son. So you can never love the gift He's given too much because in loving the gift He's given, you're loving God. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Every gift that is given is to draw us to relationship with God. That's the the reason He gives, is that we would love Him and worship Him. Glorify Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, the most precious gift. What's the next phrase? That whoever believes in Him. This is big, isn't it? This is is mind-blowing. That whoever believes in Him. Let's break this apart a little bit. This is the whoever, uh, the, the not deserving, the, the, the not earning, the not working to abuse, the, the whoever who simply trusts in Christ. Whoever believes. Hmm. What's interesting about this is it's so clear in John three sixteen, and yet a world of religions are built around what I have to do to appease God, to earn favor, to, you know, kind of, Make my way into heaven. Why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I've been a good person. I, I attended church regularly, right? I, I paid my taxes, right? Tax break. Merry Christmas. Uh, I, I did good things, right? Th- these are the reasons why I should be let in. Wrong. That's n- that means nothing. Why? Because it's laden with sin. I can never dig out of the debt that my sin has placed me in. The only, and this is the, this is the mind-blowing simplicity of the gospel. This is why little children are saved. Because you don't have to have a degree in Bible theology. You don't have to have a, a whole wealth of experiences to prove how worthy you are to be accepted by God. You simply believe. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Wow. Hmm. Now it says, whoever believes in him, which means that we're talking about not everybody. This is also important. Some people think that the cross of Jesus Christ is just this great neutralizer, and that somehow we're all good to go. That's called universalism. We're not all good to go. The cross of Jesus Christ is given in love by God. He sent his son to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we all deserve. And the call is believe in his work and you'll be saved. Now it's a promise. If you believe, you will be saved. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Anybody, all who believe, will be saved. And at the same time, only those who believe in Him will be saved. There's condemnation for those who don't. John 3.17 reminds us of this. It's, if, you, if you don't believe, you're under His condemnation. But if you do believe, you are no longer condemned. You are forgiven. Hmm. We have to remind ourselves of some of the specifics of the atonement. And remember here, God is infinitely just. So the greatest Supreme Court judge ever is a moron compared to God. He gets it always right. Perfect retribution, perfect grace and mercy, perfect satisfaction of justice and the demands of His perfections, His holiness. So the atonement of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all. What I mean by that is that Jesus' payment was so potent. It was so pure and right. His obedience so flawless. His full atonement paid that, that if every single person on the earth believed, there would be no deficit, no shortfall. You see what I mean? It's that amazing. However, it is only efficient. It is only Made efficient for those who believe. So we're not all good. If you don't believe in Jesus, you are still in condemnation. You are still in your sin. You are still heading for hell. You must place your faith in Christ in order to be saved. Sufficient for all, efficient only for those who believe. That's what John 3.16 is saying. Whoever believes in him you could say it this way there is no double jeopardy with god you know this term you you cannot commit a crime and then pay for that crime in retribution to only turn around and have to pay again for that crime that's not fair that's not just that's double jeopardy not the not the tv show with alex trebek double jeopardy would be this let me give you this scenario God sends his son Jesus to pay for your sins. So you're, you're, you're covered. He suffers for your sins, but you don't believe and then you go to hell. And then God dispenses wrath on you forever in hell. That's double jeopardy. You see the problem there is there's a double payment of wrath. That can never happen. Either Jesus has taken your sins, not just Generically, not just kind of vaguely, but actual sins that you have committed, are committing, or will commit. He paid for actual sins when he bled on the cross and died. Not hypotheticals. Real wrath for real committed sins in view, paid in full. Done. The resurrection from the tomb proved that. Every sin was paid in full. The debt is canceled. Removed as far as the east is from the west. Therefore, if you believe, if you believe in Him, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You face no wrath. Why? Because everything has been paid in Jesus Christ. That's good news. That is really good news. The question then begs, Saved from what? I always encourage people when they're sharing their testimonies. How did God reach down and save you? Well, saved from what? Why did I need to be saved? This is the final part of the verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Should not perish. Saved from what? The word perish here is one of many statements of Jesus that refer to the reality of hell. No other writer in the scripture had more to say about hell and punishment than Jesus. He's like the preacher of the future of those who refuse to repent and run hard in their sin all the way to the grave. There will be hell to pay. Take Jesus' word for it. Don't take my word for it. He says, if you don't believe in me, you will perish. It's God's eternal judgment for sin. God cannot be just and just look over our sins. We live in a day where uh, a view of God as just this nice guy up in the sky who would never... Do anything like that just kind of pervades all of our thinking. We've got to reject that. It's not biblical. To reject hell is to reject Jesus as a teacher. The fires of hell are real, and they should scare us. One of the things preaching has lost in recent days is threat and warning. And it's unloving. It's just not loving to stand here and say, it's going to be okay. We're all all just going to be okay. There's nothing to fear. There is, friends. If you do not believe in Jesus as your Savior, and you've placed your faith in Him, and you're trusting Him alone to deliver you from the wrath of God, there is hell to pay. And if I didn't care, I wouldn't say that. Threat and warning were on the lips of Jesus throughout his ministry. How could we do any less? Hmm. Which brings us to the good news of Christmas. If We don't first understand the weight, the significance. What is on the line? We're talking hell or heaven. We're talking perish, eternal damnation or eternal life. It's a big deal. Christmas is not just a holiday. It's not just about decorations, is it? We can be saved by God's love. It's a promise of God from John 3.16. We can be saved through and only through God's Son. There is no other Savior. There's, There's no other way to be saved. His exclusive right as Savior was Completely woven into the story from the beginning. We can be saved from God's wrath. We can be saved for God's glory and for our eternal joy. What happens when we are saved? We're given life. So many terms in scripture that describe this born again. I would say a spiritually dead person now made alive like Lazarus in the tomb. Live. The first thing we say is. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. He saved me. See the face of Jesus. The face of love itself. Friends Christmas is not about condemnation. I want you to hear this as clear as day. Yes I've talked about wrath. Yes I've talked about your and my sin. Talked about justice. But Christmas is about salvation. It's not about condemnation. This is the promise. If you believe, you will be saved. There's hope. There's forgiveness. There is love. And there is a Savior calling, calling. Come. Come, have life. My arms are open. Come, sinners come and repent this is good news it's the whole story of christmas so our response this morning i just want to ask you this question what do you see when you look at the tree i want you to picture your christmas tree in your house have you thus far in the christmas season seen the cross when you looked at that tree That's why it's there. That's why it's there. It's to draw your attention to Jesus, to the cross, to the focal point, the goal, the movement of Christmas in the story. What do you see when you look at the tree? This is what the kids told us. It's about the cross. Christmas is about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about God's love. See how the bridge, the, look at the bridge, nailed to a tree. It's about every drop of blood that flowed from him when it should have been me. Right? Why? Because I'm the sinner, not Jesus. Jesus didn't sin. It's about the stone that was rolled away, evidence of his completed work. So that you and I could have real life someday, I want to change the lyrics. That's my least favorite part. Let me change it to this. So that you and I can have real life today. Today. It's about the cross. Don't settle for empty sentimentalism at Christmas. Reject it. It's just cultural. It's just tradition. It's, it's just Repetitive. It's just a letdown at the end of Christmas, right? And open all the gifts, and then you've got to take that thing down. And there's always that kind of like, oh, it's over. All the buildup from Thanksgiving, now it's over. Don't settle for that. The good news of Jesus Christ is the focal point of everything at Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift that you have given. I thank you for your love. That you would even concern yourself with us. That you would offer us redemption when the angels didn't get it. Who are we, Lord? That you would show such goodness and grace. That you would send your son the greatest gift to, to live a perfect, obedient life and to lay down his life to pay for my sin specific sins lord we thank you for the promise of hope the absolutely incredible promise that we can be saved forgiven on the basis of his work alone oh lord i pray even today if there are any here in this place that you would stir in their hearts Convict them of their sin, help them to understand the the, the need that they have for saving, that they are heading towards the fire of hell in their sins if they don't trust in Jesus. And Lord, in only the way that you can, use this sovereign, loving warning that you have set before us today to call them to repentance, to call them to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Give life, eternal life, right here in this place, we pray, even now. If you're here and Jesus is not your Savior and Lord, if you have not yet trusted Him with all of your life, you might say some words like this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I confess that I need saving. I look to You today. I believe in You. I trust You To save me and to give life. Lord, save me. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, your eternal life just began. Your eternal life just began. Real life now, today. If you're here and you already trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, this is a prayer that is your greatest treasure It's good to pray this prayer again and again, not because you're being saved over and over, but because you believe it. You believe it with all your heart. There's nothing more precious to to celebrate this Christmas than the gift of God's love. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your love. And we together pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.